Welcome back to Proximity Health's podcast series, where we explore current and emerging issues of the healthcare landscape. Today, we welcome again, Julie Kennerly Shaw, Assistant Director of Pharmacy at the James Cancer Center at Ohio State University. Previously, Julie provided some insights into impact of site of care shifts, including home infusion on the providers. In this episode, we will discuss the impact of white bagging on both providers and the patients. Before we talk about specifically white bagging, is it possible for you to just briefly clarify the differences between these dispensing methods of traditional buy and bill, white bagging, brown bagging, and now clear bagging? Yes, buy and bill is when a healthcare provider purchases the medication from their wholesaler, they compound or prepare the medication, and then they administer it. This is the model in which the majority of large cancer centers operate. It allows us to manage our inventory, to make sure that we have the drug on hand that we need for patients, and allows us to make in-the-moment changes that may be necessary based on the patient's presentation. White bagging is when the healthcare provider procures the medication from an outside pharmacy. It's mailed to the provider. It's labeled with a patient-specific label. And then the provider, the healthcare organization, must then use that medication that was dispensed by an outside pharmacy. They must then prepare it, compound it, administer it. Brown bagging is when a patient actually receives the medication from an outside pharmacy. It may be delivered to their front door via some mail order pharmacy, for example. Then they bring it in with them to their clinic or infusion visit, and then the provider is then responsible for administering that medication. Clear bagging is a newer term, and it describes when a medication is procured from an internal specialty retail pharmacy. So we have our own specialty retail pharmacy. So Mm -hmm. if a medication had to be sent through a PBM insurance, so the prescription insurance instead of medical insurance, it's sent through our specialty retail pharmacy, then it would be administered to the patient. I would say that this is pretty limited. The the best example I can think of is growth factor. If you have a patient whose growth factor medication is is sent through the prescription insurance, and then they may bring that syringe from our specialty retail pharmacy if they don't feel comfortable with its self-administration. Then, at least from a provider side, there's not a huge difference between your traditional buy and bill and your clear bagging when it comes to patient care. You know, clear bagging is a challenge. Even thinking about, you know, the the idea of growth factor, even though it's all internal, there's still the risk of a patient getting two doses. So we sometimes don't know whether the medical insurance or the prescription insurance is is going to be what covers it. We start the prior authorization process on the medical side. We concurrently, to prevent patient delays, started on the prescription side. Now you've got two separate pharmacies that while there's some connection in their EMR, both have access to dispense a medication within two different modules of the same electronic medical record system. So it is a lot more work, certainly, for the provider. It is not ideal. We, we strongly prefer the buy and bill model, and, and we try to avoid clear bagging as much as we can. Thank you for that clarification, because clear bagging is, like you said, a new term. 
But going back to our discussion, it seems like the practice of white bagging has been around for quite some time. In the past, it seemed to be more on an exception basis, like limited distribution issues. But now, bright bagging, as you mentioned, has become more prevalent. So is this mainly a payer-driven trend? Absolutely. We are seeing payers really push for white bagging. I will also say that we have been very adamant that we will not provide treatment to a patient in a white bagging or a brown bagging scenario. And that has been received with varying levels, I would say, of of appreciation from the the payers. However, we've remained firm in that because we do strongly believe that it is not in our patient's best interest for their medication to be procured in a white bagging or brown bagging scenario. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the challenges that you as a provider would face when it comes to white bagging? Absolutely. So I think the AHA did a fantastic job of describing some of the challenges and they categorized it into patient care, patient access to medication, planning preparedness, quality of handling, drug shortages, and then really liability that comes on behalf of the provider. So from a patient care standpoint, you know, our cancer patients are often seen the same day as they're going to receive their infusion. And there could be changes that need to be made to those patients' regimens. And so in a white bagging scenario, you may not have access to the medication or the dose that you need, which can cause delays for patients. You know, we've had some payers say, oh, we can make exceptions, but the exception process is not easy and it's not fast. It causes additional administrative burden on the provider. It also causes the additional delay, even if it ends up happening, you know, five hours later for a cancer patient waiting five hours, really just not acceptable. So that's the biggest challenge that we see related to the white bagging. There were also some issues that we've heard around this whole idea of chain of custody and circumventing your order sets. Uh, Can you maybe describe how that impacts quality? Absolutely. So in the buy and bill model, we purchase the medications, we own the medications, and it's really our role to manage inventory, monitor dispensing, compounding, etc. And so these white bagging policies, they interrupt that and that now we, we have to procure drug from multiple other pharmacies and then have to store individual patient doses. So if you think about it, we see hundreds of patients a day. And if we had to procure drug for those hundreds of patients from an outside retail or specialty pharmacy and then track patient-specific vials of drug, you can only imagine, you know, number one, the storage capacity. So we manage our inventory very tightly. We have limited space. So we wouldn't have a place to put all of this drug, first of all. Second, the potential for the patient to get the wrong vial because it's now patient-specific versus, okay, we have five vials of the same drug. It has a label with a patient's name on it. So lots of operational challenges, not to mention who is going to be reviewing to make sure that patient's drug has arrived in time for the patient to receive it on their scheduled infusion day. If it hasn't, 
then do we need to reschedule the patient, reaching back out to the pharmacy that's supposed to be delivering it? The other challenge is that we're responsible for the storage of these medications. And there's not a clear chain of custody when we're having to procure this from some outside pharmacy that we have no control that has no really liability associated with it because we're the ones ultimately administering those medications. I see. So if you're receiving medication from an outside pharmacy and it didn't come in from your own system, are you able to integrate that in your system in the sense of, I'm sure there's a lot of quality checks when you're looking at a patient care order set It doesn't work, which is why we don't allow it. You know, the idea of having hundreds of patients sending literally like manual prescriptions to an outside pharmacy for them to send us drug that then we have to track and monitor and make sure that patient gets that specific vial of drug. It's just not a viable model for a large cancer center. Yes, I can definitely see that. And you had mentioned that if you do a white bagging, each one of the medication is now labeled specifically for a patient. So what would happen if, for example, the patient missed their appointment or it's incorrect? Is that the medication just now wastage? Absolutely. So in Ohio, our law, first of all, does not allow us, of course, to administer it to another patient. And number two, we have to store it until it expires and then dispose of it. So you can only imagine with the frequent dose changes, therapy changes, what a stockpile of medications we would end up with. I feel like I'd have to buy a warehouse to put patient-specific medications that went to waste into. The whole idea that, that we would be sending medications to us to dispense, knowing there's a chance that that patient is going to progress or change therapies, not to mention the patient has already been charged for that medication and I can't return it at that point. And so it's wasteful to the patient and wasteful to the system. If you did the white bagging, essentially the patient is handling the financial side of things with whichever specialty pharmacy and with their plan and all they're doing is bringing that medication to a hospital to get it administered. Okay. There's obviously some increased patient burden, especially if a dosage is wrong or it's not available for use or incorrectly shipped or stored. Correct. Okay. What are some of the financial impacts of white bagging on providers then? I think it's twofold. Number one, it's more expensive to do a white bagging scenario if you're a large organization. So I mentioned the inventory management, the double checks, the coordination of care, the additional communication with the outside pharmacy, making sure they receive the prescription, facilitating any changes, but then also the decrease in reimbursement. Because at that point, you're doing all the work including compounding the medication, administering the medication, making sure it's the correct medication, making sure that no doses need to be changed. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the reimbursement associated with oncology is tied to the actual procurement and dispensing of the drug. Mm -hmm. And so you lose when someone else does that dispense function, despite the fact that they're not accountable for any of the other things that are associated with ensuring the patient is receiving quality care. 
I see. As you mentioned, it's twofold, right? One, there's obviously the increased cost of the increased effort that it takes to process a white bagging prescription. And then two, there is that loss of the opportunity when you have a buy-in bill on the administration. So you mentioned that your organization has not allowed white bagging as a practice for your patients. I guess my first question is, how were you even notified of the white bagging payer policy? Is it that they just published their policies or do you not find this out until the prior auth stage? I will say that most payers do not make it easy to find their clinical policies or, or policy changes. They tend to come in bulletins that are issued, and regardless of the size of the impact of the decision, it's in a bulletin that you have to really read through all of the changes to, to catch any profound changes that will impact your organization. That's the most common way in which we find out about these policy changes. I'll also say that cancer organizations stay very well connected to one another, but we do typically know prior to an impact on an individual patient. Then how is your organization handling your response to payer pressures? Is it a blanket hospital policy? We have an organization policy that we do not white bag, nor do we brown bag for our patients. We've shared that with all of our payers, and we remain persistent in that pursuit of this is how we will continue to provide care for our patients. Have you been successful? Yes, I think I think we've been pretty successful in that pursuit. I think there continues to be pressure with payers. We recognize that the cost of cancer care is high, and we believe that patients shouldn't have to sacrifice the quality of care that they're receiving because cancer medications are expensive. And we continue to make that case to payers, and I would say that our patients have been really strong advocates for us in terms of reaching out to their payers and and really saying, hey, I expect to be able to receive my care at a cancer center where my oncologist is prescribing my therapy and where they have complete ownership over my care. And I think that's really been a key component of being able to be successful in these conversations because it comes back to the patient. I see. So are there other success factors or key things that you believe is helping you stem the white bagging policy? You know, I think being consistent and not allowing white bagging, highlighting some of the patient safety challenges that we've talked about today, the quality of handling, highlighting some of the additional stressors in oncology associated with drug shortages that we've experienced and making sure that they understand that the supply chain is challenging in oncology, and we have a strong history of managing drug shortages so that our patients do not go without the care that they need, and then emphasizing some of the liability that white bagging policy really places on cancer organizations and providers. Really, when you, you implement white bagging, you're really having, an, an, in my opinion, inappropriate distribution of the responsibility to the providers because we no longer own or manage those medications. And so I think really highlighting the challenges associated with white bagging is important as you have conversations with payers. 
So have you experienced loss in volume and patience by refusing to white bag? No. I would say that we have had a few instances where patients are, um, we have side of care policies that are implemented by payers that force the patient to an outside infusion center. There have been a few losses in those instances. I will say that we are pretty successful at making the case for why patients should continue their therapy at our organization despite the side of care policies. And our patients have really been our biggest advocates in those scenarios because they are very direct with payers that they do not want to receive their care at an organization that is, is not ours. I see. And so do you have any recommendations or thoughts on what actions providers can take either as an individual organization or even broader advocacy to try to continue to work with the payers and help them understand the issues involved here? Yes, I think I have really three recommendations. The first is making it clear the challenges associated with the site of care and white bagging policies, having specific patient examples of the challenges and the impact of some of these policies, such as the patient who reacted that I described earlier. Two, I think really educating your patients so that they understand the concepts of white bagging and brown bagging and side of care and why it impacts their care so that they can advocate for themselves. And then three, I think really taking legislative action. There are many states, including Ohio, who have drafted language to prohibit white bagging mandates. The American Society of Health System Pharmacists has a template that can be used for state legislation initiatives to prohibit white bagging and and would highly encourage providers to be active at the state level and to ensure that they're engaging with, with local, state, national organizations who are active in this space, including AHA and the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. As we wrap up our podcast with Julie, just want to summarize three takeaways from our discussion. First, provider pharmacies are facing increasing pressures to white bag drugs as payers seek to reduce costs or bolster their own specialty pharmacy operations. Next, the practice of white bagging is a lose-lose proposition for hospital networks. White bagging increases the hospital pharmacy's operational burden injects uncertainty into patient care, and eliminates drug reimbursement for the IDN. While some hospital networks have been successful in fending off the practice for now, most providers are looking for strong advocacy from patients and associations, as well as legislative actions addressing the challenges of white bagging. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We'll see you next time.